If I knocked on your door and just simply told you you're a free man or a free woman, go, live your life, you'd think I was crazy. But if that door was a cell door and you were in prison, I'd be a different story altogether, wouldn't it? Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Welcome to Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. We begin a series called Guilty as Charged, taken from Romans chapter 3. Oftentimes we take a look at the grace and love of God in Christ and we think little of it. That's because we don't really understand just how horrible we really are. And that's what Paul lays out for us here in chapter 3 of Romans. The fact that you and I are all guilty guilty of gross, heinous sin, that makes grace all the more wonderful, as we'll see today. Join us, won't you? With today's broadcast of Graceful Truth, here's Pastor Steve Converse. Continue our study through the book of Romans. We're in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. And this morning we'll be looking at uh, a message entitled, Guilty as Charged. It's a Part one of two parts, probably. So we'll finish the rest of it next week. But I just want to read our text for us. Last week we dropped off there at verse 8 in Romans chapter 3. And so we want to pick it up at Romans chapter 3, verse 9. And I'll read down through uh, verse uh, 20 there. What then are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin." When we stop and we think of that passage of Scripture, all of us as believers are probably very, very familiar with this. We've studied it. We've looked at it. We've probably quoted it to people when we're sharing the gospel. And it's really the core of the gospel that we're going to be looking at the next couple weeks together. And at the center of the gospel is the very fact that we are Guilty. Guilty as charged. We don't like to think that way. We like to think that we're pretty good. I I remember before I became a Christian, uh, the night that the pastor was meeting with me, he turned to this passage and he kept on having me read verse 12 over and over and over again, especially the last part, because I kept on appealing to him. I'm not like my brothers. I'm not like my brothers. 
And he said, that's not the standard. What does that say? It says no one does good. What do you think no one means? You don't have to be a Greek scholar to figure out no one means no one. That includes you. But I couldn't get it through my head. And it wasn't until the grace that we've sung about here this morning touched my heart and God opened my eyes to the glorious gospel of Christ and I realized that I am guilty as charged. A lot of people have different ideas about guilt. It's, it's one of those things that you don't like to live with, but you can't live without. Kind of like pain. Do you ever thank God for pain? Some of you older folks are going, no, not recently. You know, I went to a therapist on last uh, Thursday for my neck. Put me through all this stuff and did some traction on it. I'm going again, I think, Monday or Tuesday of this next week. And um, trying to figure out what's, what's wrong, why it's so tense. And I, I was sitting there in his office, and he said, well, on a scale of 1 to 10, how bad is your pain? And I said, it doesn't work with me. I, didn't, I mean, I can take a lot of pain. He goes, well, just, you know, 1 to 10. And so I'm thinking, I don't want to say too much because then, you know, who knows what they're going to do. But I don't want to say too little. So I just kind of said, eh, maybe a five. I don't know. I said, but I don't do well on that scale because what is a five to me probably isn't a five to somebody else. And so I remember sitting there, though, thinking, you know what? It's, and he started moving my neck and I go, now that hurts. That hurts. That's, that's painful. What you're doing right now is painful. And I remember thinking, okay, that's, that's a blessing from God. Pain is a blessing from God. If we didn't have pain, there'd be no way to understand that there was something wrong with our body. That's one of the major things that lepers have a problem with. Their their appendages grow numb. And so they end up, you know, burning them or cutting them. They don't even realize it. They get infected. They end up falling off. They still don't even know it. It's because the nerve tissues damage to the point where they don't feel pain. Thank God for pain. Well, also, thank God for guilt. If it wasn't for guilt, beloved, we wouldn't have any sense of wrongdoing before God. Not everybody takes that mentality. Ann Landers had an article and she wrote this, one of the most painful, self-mutilating, time and energy-consuming exercises in the human experience is guilt. It can ruin your day, your week, your life, if you let it. She went on in her little article. She never gave an answer how to get rid of the guilt. (laughs) See, but no matter how often we think that, that guilt is a bad thing, God is saying, no, it's something that I'm allowing you to experience, and it's a gift from me. Why do we not embrace guilt? I'll tell you, it's, it's pretty simple. Because we don't like to have pointed out to us that we're doing something wrong. <laughs> Those of you who are married know, know what I'm talking about. You know, when your spouse starts pointing out something that maybe you're not doing correctly or you're doing wrong, you don't sit there at their feet and go, tell me more, this is such a blessing. No. Yeah, 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 I heard it before. I just, don't tell me what you think you are. Why are you telling me this? You get frustrated. You don't want to hear it. You don't want someone else to point out what you're doing wrong. And no matter how often... We tell ourselves that we're not doing something wrong. Trust me, we are. Because we're guilty. We face the fact that we do evil things. 
We do unrighteous things. And as a result of those things, we feel guilt. Whether it's in thought, word, or deed. We all do them because none of it, nobody here is perfect. Nobody. And when you do something wrong in God's sight, he allows us to experience something called guilt. Guilt does a lot of things to people. Guilt can drive somebody to drink uncontrollably. Guilt can drive somebody to be addicted to alcohol. Guilt can drive you into loneliness, into despair, even into insanity, suicide. And the answer to most people's dealing with guilt is, well, you go see the, the psychiatrist. You go see the psychologist. You go see a shrink. And they'll explain to you why you're guilty. You're not guilty because you've done anything wrong. You're guilty because maybe the way the parents raised you. Or maybe it's your boss's fault. Or maybe it's somebody else's fault. And when you try to pass your guilt onto somebody else, what happens? Inevitably, it just increases the guilt. <laughs> because you know in your heart, wait a minute, I've got to step up and take responsibility here. So instead of just being guilty for what they've done, now they're guilty for passing it off onto somebody else. When we sin... The result is guilt. If we could get rid of it, we would. But there's no way to. Heard this morning that NASCAR driver last night killed another driver on a track. Most likely accidental. They were on a dirt track. And I think it was Tony Stewart, right? Hit the other guy, young kid. I think he was 20 or 22. And the cars continued to go around the track. And this guy crashed. Well, he was so ticked off, he got out of his car... And when Tony Stewart was coming around, he ran toward his car. Not a real bright thing to do. Tony Stewart's car, I mean, they're on a dirt track. It's one of those dirt, you know, where the kind of the rear end goes out when they're going around. Well, obviously, if you're going to swerve or wave to hit somebody, maybe your rear end's... And he ran the guy over at high speed. Video's on YouTube. It's sad. Killed instantly. I watched this morning on the news, and I don't know if he's actually going to do this or not, but there's a big race today, NASCAR race. And his spokespeople were saying, oh, no, he's going to race. It's business as usual. I thought, wow. That's kind of tough. I wonder if he's feeling any guilt. Maybe he thought he was just going to scare the guy. Maybe his emotions got a little out of control. Maybe it was purely an accident. Maybe it was totally the other guy's fault. The fact is, somebody's dead. Somebody's lives are changed forever. A family's lives are changed forever because of... Some silly race. Guilt does all kinds of things. But we can't just blame the other person all the time. And so in the epistle of Romans here, we've been studying as Paul throughout this marvelous epistle is committed to presenting the gospel of Christ. He says that in chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But you know what? Before he can give the remedy for the sin that we have, he has to give the disease. You don't just go to the doctor and he examines you and say, here, here, you know what? Just go get this prescription. You'll be fine. What's your question going to be? Well, what's wrong with me? I'm not just going to take pills. Tell me what's wrong. You want to know the diagnosis. That's what Paul's doing here. And he began in chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through up until chapter 3, verse 19. And he basically openly condemns every human being who's ever lived on the face of the earth. 
And he's basically saying his message is all are guilty before God. That's the message. And that's what it says there at the end of verse 19. He sums up everything that's gone before. Every mouth is stopped, he says. In other words, you can't say, not me. Well, no, he's included everybody. There's no defense. There's nothing you can say at this point that will excuse you from the guilt of sin. There's no way to get out of it. There's no self-justifying words. So he says, every mouth is stopped and all the world is guilty before God. See, that's the message of the gospel. That's intrinsic in the gospel. If we leave that part out, then the gospel is not the gospel, beloved. That is what the gospel first has to say to a man or a woman or a child. Is that, you know what, you're guilty before God. We don't exist as Christians here on this earth to go around and just tell everybody to be happy in Jesus and everybody's okay, you're okay, I'm okay, everybody's okay. Just, just come to church, you'll be okay. Just get baptized, you'll be okay. Just read your Bible, you'll be okay. God doesn't really look at you as sinners. He loves you. God is love. That's the message we hear taught in so many of our churches today. We're not here to say that. We're not here to bring that message to the ear of the sinner. We're here to say, you know what? You're a sinner. Deal with it. Oh, you can't? Well, guess what? I got some good news. I know somebody that can. How convenient. We're here to tell people that they have real guilt before God and that they're under his wrath, that they're under his condemnation. And that's what we've been seeing in these first three chapters of Romans. Over and over, Paul has just reiterated, nope, you're under sin, you're under sin. I don't care if you're Jew, Greek, whatever, pagan, you're all under sin. And we find it hard to admit that. Even as Christians, we find it hard to admit that because we like to present ourselves as good people. Dr. Barnhouse wrote this, It is only stubborn self-pride that keeps man from the confession to God that would bring release. But that way he refuses to take. And I love this illustration. Man stands before God today like a little boy who swears with crying and tears that he has not been anywhere near the jam jar. And who with an air of outraged innocence pleads the justice of his position in total ignorance of the fact that a good-sized spoonful of jam has fallen upon his shirt under his chin and is plainly visible to all but himself. Isn't that a great illustration? That's the sinner. No, no, it's the other guy. It's the other guy. It's not me. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. See, Paul knows the tendency to resist the reality of our sinfulness. And so he sums it up here in this portion of Scripture. He wants to make one final strong statement about the total sinfulness of man. And up to this point, he's argued from a lot of different angles. He's argued from creation. He's argued from the testimony of creation. He says that. He's argued from the testimony of history, of reason, logic, conscience. But now he drives the final nail in the coffin. Because you know what? He, He argues from Scripture. 
He argues from the very word of God. And that's what he does here in chapter 3. I mean, if you look at our history, obviously man is sinful. You don't have to look far at that. If you look at reason, we can see that we're sinful. Conscience. All those things. And those are all true. But he says, that's not good enough. I want you to hear it from the mouth of God, in the word of God. The ultimate testimony. And so beginning in verse 10 and running down through verse 18, he quotes the Old Testament. That's why he says there in verse 9, or verse uh, 10, as it is written. He starts. John MacArthur, in his message, he says that Paul is bringing God into the courtroom to give testimony to the sinfulness of man. Can you imagine that? I mean, just imagine a courtroom setting, and you're sitting there as a defendant saying you're not a sinner, and down the aisle comes God, and he takes his place up in the booth. They swear him in. I don't know if he'd say under God or under myself. I don't know what he'd say. I swear. <laughs> and he begins to tell us why we're sinners. We're not dealing with human reason. We're, we're dealing with the word of God. And I think that the message that we're going to look at today and t- next week is the message that we as Christians have to preach. We have to relate this to people. That there is sin and man is sinful and man is guilty. As charged, and he must come to the recognition of that before there can ever be a remedy. That's our introduction to our text. Look at verse 9 with me. Verse 9, we see here a couple questions. And the first one is, what then? What then? That's the first question. Paul's asking these questions rhetorically, as we talked about last week. But he understands that his listeners are saying, okay, well, what's the situation here, Paul? What's the conclusion all this stuff you're telling us? What are you driving at? Where are you going with this? What do you mean to say here? I mean, he's just condemned the immoral pagan. He's just condemned the moral religious man. He's condemned the Jew, the Gentile. He's condemned everybody at this point. There's nobody left standing. And so the question is, well, okay, what do we do now? You wiped everybody out, Paul, with your message here. What's next? And then he asks the question, are we any better off? If your translation has, as I read in the ESV, are we Jews any better off? It's probably not a good translation that they put that in there. It's not in the original text. So let's read it the way it was in the original. Are we any better off? That's really what it says. He asked this question rhetorically. Are we any better off than the immoral man, the moral man, or the Jew? So immediately you're saying, well, who who is the we then? If it's not the Jew, who is it? Of whom is Paul speaking? A lot of commentators, you can read them, they'll say that it's, Jews, he's including himself with the Jews. Are we Jews any better off? Because Paul was a Jew. But at this point, he was also a Christian. I'll tell you why that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense because, as we've studied in the last couple weeks, he just finished the whole section on the Jews, right? He answered their question. Remember? We talked about the whole circumcision deal and them having the word of God, and that doesn't cut it. Did they have some advantages as Jews? Definitely. 
They were entrusted with the oracles of God, it says. But they chose to worship the book rather than the man of the book. And so they're held to a higher account. They're not excused. Some of you here this morning may think, oh, I've been taught since Sunday school and I know a lot about the Bible and I know this. Hey, God bless you. Do you understand that that brings a higher accountability of you before God? What do you mean? The more you know, the more God is going to hold you accountable for it. Oh, (laughs) it's like the new believer. Veronica was telling us that some of these teenagers are coming to Christ up on the reservation. And they were the ones that were asking her, why don't you have any kids? And when she said, well, you know, I'm waiting until I get married. Well, why would you do that? Well, let me show you. And she showed them in the Bible. And these are Christian kids. And immediately they said, wow, we've never seen that. You mean you should be married before you have children? Yeah. That's God's prescribed plan. Oh. See, things are changing now. The next day, if somebody asked them, is it a good thing to have children out of wedlock? Somebody's going to say no, based upon the word of God. And we don't condemn those people. We just say it's not God's ideal. And so he says here basically that, you know what? We, are we any better off? I don't think he's talking about the Jews because he's already covered that section. He's not talking about the Gentiles because he wouldn't include himself in that section. Who could he be talking about? The only other group of people that he hasn't addressed yet are who? The believers in Rome. Who he's writing to. That's the only group. Nowhere else in the book of Romans does Paul say we and include himself with the Jews. Why would he do it here? And so he asks... The question, are we any better off than these people? Now, some of you this morning as Christians may be sitting there going, well, definitely we are. I mean, we're Christians. We have a righteous standing before God. Are we any better off than the immoral pagan? Are we better off than the moral religious man or the religious Jew? All of them are condemned before God. Are we better off? The question he's asking is this. Are we some kind of elite group of people? as Christians, who are better off than anybody else. That's why we're Christians, by our nature. Are we better than the pagan? And that fits, really, back with verse 8. He says, And why not do evil that good may come, as some people slanderously charge us with saying? So some people thought that Paul and his followers were saying, Oh, we're better than you. We're better than you. So they slandered them. As a result. And so he gathers everybody up. And he asks the question, including the Christians. And he says, are we who are Christians by nature in ourselves any better than the rest of the condemned world? What's the answer? No. (laughs) Not at all. Absolutely not. Altogether, in every way, absolutely, there's a finality to his answer. There's no possible way that we could be. He's gathered everybody up from the most vile, the most reprobate, homosexual, vice-ridden person to the one who assembles himself in the community of the believers. And that includes himself, beloved. And he says, none of us are any better off than any other one by ourselves in our own human nature. We're all equally guilty before a holy God. 
Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade 5. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. And directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650 650- 366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free gracefultruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.